4: Hobby of mine. Well, well, actually, it's a little more than just a hobby.
5: Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes. Really?
4: Yeah. From Hollywood, it's time
3: now for. Leave the gun. Take the
4: cannoli. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting.
3: Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This time, we'll celebrate President's Day with an episode of Mr. President, starring Edward Arnold from 1950. Then, it's part one of the Charlie McCarthy Show, starring Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy, and all the gang from 1947. But first, let me say hello to my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hi, Carl. What's going here? What's going on, Dimply? It's Hollywood 360 again, huh? I know. Are you ready for our first presentation, which is Mr. President? Yes, sir. Yes? All right. Well, it was a historical drama, came to ABC Radio in 1947, lasted all the way to 1953. Each week, Edward Arnold starred in a dramatized incident in the life of one of the men who had held the office of President of the United States. The dialogue was written in such a way as not to reveal the name of the president, until the last line of dialogue, giving listeners a chance to guess who he was. It was created by Robert G. Jennings and it had radio's top supporting players. Now, I'm not going to tell you who the president is on this particular broadcast, give you a chance to guess. Let's go back to January 15, 1950. Edward Arnold stars now in Mr. President.
2: I can't see risking a war over the disposal of three horses from Tunis. Mr. President, starring Edward Arnold and written by Gene Holloway.
5: (music) Mr. President at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known transcribed stories of the men who have lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human
1: stories of... Mr. President. Today's Mr. President drama will begin in just a moment. But first, a word about our purpose in presenting this series. To Americans, there are no more stirring stories in the world than the stories of the lives of the men who became presidents of the United States. Their deeds are direction pointers for the American mind, sources of inspiration and courage to young and old alike. People today are more interested than ever to know the intimate, interesting and inspiring facts about the lives of their presidents. The men who became the leaders of their country. The American Broadcasting Company takes listeners behind the White House reception rooms and ballrooms into the privacy of the breakfast room and study where presidents are shown as individuals with human doubt, laughter, love, and faith. We invite you to listen now for today's story of Mr. President and see if you can name the president upon whom this incident is based. <laughs>
2: Here's a story that happened a few years ago. Listen closely and see if you can tell who the president was. The hour was late, and the two men had been sitting deep in thought for many long hours in the study. Finally, the president yawned. What time is it, Jim? Almost two in the morning. Is it really? You know, one thing I've certainly found out. The President of the United States can't count on getting very much sleep. What are we going to do about the Bay of Tunis? (laughs) You know, every time you say the Bay of Tunis, it startles me. It always sounds as though you were speaking of a body of water. (laughs) All right, I'll refer to him from now on as the B-E-Y of Tunis. (laughs) Or would you rather I called him the ruler of Tunis? (laughs) As a matter of fact, I don't really care how you refer to him as long as you help me decide what to do about him. You really think the matter is worth all the time and thought you're giving to it? Yes, I do, Jim. We've got to do our best to preserve peace with all nations, small ones as well as
1: large ones.
2: When does the Tunisian ambassador arrive? Next week. And the situation between Tunis and America is that our navy seized a Tunisian cruiser and two prizes it had captured, correct? Correct. And the ambassador is coming here to demand the surrender of those ships and some sort of tribute. And he's bringing some Arabian horses as a gift to you from the Bay of Tunis. That's right. And you can't accept any gift? without the consent of Congress. Mm, That about sums up the problem. Yes, now we have reacquainted ourselves with the facts with which we were already well acquainted. If I don't accept those horses, we may so offend the Bay of Tunis that we could find ourselves at war with him. You know, it's not easy being the President of the United States. It certainly isn't. Nor is it easy being a member of the President's Cabinet. Uh, did you make any arrangements about quarters for the ambassador and his staff? Yes, I spoke to Mr. Steele, and he's going to prepare rooms for the ambassador and his staff at his hotel. You know, of course, that we have to take care of all of their expenses. How long do you think they'll stay? Well, I haven't the faintest idea. Oh, Jim, I'm tired. Tell me, Mr. President, how are your daughters? I haven't heard you mention them in the last few days. Oh, Martha is splendid. I had a letter yesterday. I haven't heard from Maria, though. Well, what are we going to do about the Bay of Tunis? I don't know, Jim. I just don't know yet. I guess we'll just have to see what he has to say when he gets here.
5: Mr. President, the most distinguished and honored president of the United States of America, the foremost among those who profess the religion of the Messiah, of whom may the end be happy, greetings from your friend and well-wisher, the Bay of Tunis.
2: Thank you, Mr. Ambassador. I return greetings to the Bay of Tunis from his friend and well-wisher, the President of the United States.
5: The Bay of Tunis has sent to his beloved friend and neighbor, the President of the United States, a gift of three Arabian steeds, which I will be pleased to present to you tomorrow.
2: The Bay of Tunis is most gracious and extremely generous, but perhaps he doesn't know that, according to the law of this country, his devoted friend, the President of the United States, is not permitted to accept gifts of any nature.
5: The Bay of Tunis is sure that, because of the deep and lasting friendship between his country and the United States, that the President of the United States will be gracious enough to accept the gifts he sends in brotherly love and devotion. The Bay of Tunis further wishes me to state to his esteemed friend, the President of the United States, that he is sure that the ships seized by the uninformed men of the United States Navy will be returned immediately, and that his loved friend, the President of the United States, will see that he has paid a three-year tribute in naval stores, so that the great friendship between the Bay and the President and their respective countries
2: need not be placed in jeopardy. Having no wish to jeopardize the friendship between Tunis and the United States, we will take the gifts and grievances of the Bay of Tunis under our respectful consideration.
1: President... President! Ah, here I am, Jim, here I
2: am. What are you doing out here in cold without anything on your head? Oh, it's not very cold. I was just walking around out here thinking. I'm certainly not going to agree to this government paying any money or tribute to Tunis. Well, let's go inside. It may not be too cold out here for you, but it's certainly too cold for me. All right, if you're cold. Have you had any word from Maria yet? No, not yet. I wrote a letter a few days ago asking if anything was wrong, but I haven't had any answer. I told my wife I'd ask you if I could have dinner with you. She's having some ladies in, and I'd rather like to stay out of the way. Oh, you're more than welcome. I thought I was going to have to dine by myself. Here, let's go in by the fire until dinner is ready. I like this room. It has a lot of warmth and charm. Oh, your wife had a lot to do with that. She certainly has been a help to me in more ways than I'll ever be able to tell her. That's what friends are for. If my wife had lived I well... No use thinking about that. You can't help thinking about it. I know that. All day she seems so, so close to me. I, I can't explain it. She's been gone for so many years, and yet today, so many times I've looked up and thought I saw her passing a window or a doorway or smiling at me across a room. I can't explain it, but she seems so close today. Doesn't she every day? No, not like this. Only once before did she seem as close. When was that? I often thought afterwards that it was because she knew I needed her. It was in Paris. It was the day I received word that our youngest daughter, Lucy, had died. Well, Jim, can I get you something else? Oh, no, thank you. I couldn't eat another thing. I wonder who well, that could be at this hour. Who knows? Perhaps the ambassador from Tunis with further requests from the B.E.Y. <laughs> Mr. President. Yes, what is it?
5: I'm sorry to disturb you like this at your meal, sir, but my message is urgent, and the servant said I could come right in. Well, oh, that's
2: all right. What is your message? It's your daughter, Mrs. Epps. Maria? Sir. She's very ill, sir. They think you should come at once, Mr. President. Well, She's still at my farm? Yes. Sir. I'll leave at once. I'll go with you. No, no, Jim, uh, your wife. No, you I'm need... going with you. I'll order the carriage. You get together whatever things you want to take. You can stop at my house. I'll tell my wife what has happened. Well, the sooner we start, the better. I'll have someone get a meal for you at once, my son. And you'll stay here, of course, and rest. Thank you, Mr. President. Sky's beginning to lighten. It'll be dawn soon. Ah, yes. Life plays queer tricks on us, doesn't it, Jim? Here I am at the pinnacle of success as we measure pinnacles in this country. President of the United States. When I first entered office, the people weren't quite sure about me. Yes, they were. You were elected, weren't you? Yes, but still a lot of people weren't sure. They were waiting for me to prove myself. And only lately have I felt that they have given me their complete confidence. It isn't enough to be president in the people's minds. You must be president in their hearts as well. I think now at last I am. Political success has been given me, but personal happiness? No. My wife is gone, our youngest child, and now Maria is ill. What good is success without happiness, Jim? What good is it? What good is the friendship of the populace if you can't have the love and faith of your family? If my daughter dies, Jim, I don't want to live. I don't want to live. This doesn't sound like you. How much can a man's heart stand? How much sorrow can be thrust upon it before it collapses under the weight of that sorrow? How often can death enter a man's life and still leave him alive? God gives us strength for the hours that we must meet. God will give you the strength to face whatever you must face. I'm confident of that. Besides, there's no reason to think these thoughts. She may be better by now. She may come running down to the gates herself to meet you. All this day, I wondered why my wife seemed so close. And now, at the day's end, I know. At last, I know. Well, have you guessed who the president was when all this happened? It really did happen, you know, so listen closely. Country is beautiful this time of year. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, it seems to me we've been traveling weeks instead of days. I've lost all track of time. This part of the country should look very familiar to you. we are almost home. Yes, yes. Along this very road I walked when I was young and rode a horse when I was older. I traveled this road one wild winter night when I took my bride to my home. I remember saying to her, This house is as I dreamed it and planted in my boyhood. Yet never has it seemed complete or right to me until now. This moment that I see you standing here, the mistress of my house, we walked along this road the day she told me we could expect our first child. And I remember that I cried a little because life was so much more wonderful than dreams and the plan of the Almighty so much more wonderful than any plan the mind of man might devise. That was all such a long time ago. Those days were over so long ago. Your life has been very full. You've already lived several men's lifetimes in your span of years. You've married, raised a family, become a statesman, foreign minister, an inventor... I don't think there's anything in the world you can't do. Oh, there are many things I can't do, Jim. And do you know the most important thing right now? What? I can't hold back death. Well, well, here we are at last, Jim.
6: Father. Oh, Father, thank heaven. Oh.
2: Hello, Martha. How's your sister?
6: It's very low, Father. Hello, Jim.
2: Hello, Martha. I'm certainly stiff. How about you, Mr. President? I doubt if I'll ever get the kinks out of me. Father, I'm so glad you're here. Oh, hello, John. You know my son-in-law, don't you, Jim? Oh, yes, of course. Good to see you again, Mr. F. Thank you. It's good to see you.
6: The doctor's with Maria now. He sent us all out. Come. Let's go in. What does the doctor say? He hasn't held out much
2: hope. Uh, It's been like a nightmare sitting there by her bed... Watching us slip away, help us to do anything. I know, I know. Let me go right up to her, won't you? How are the children, John? Oh, they're splendid, sir. We've tried to keep them from realizing how we real Maria is. Yes, yes, of course, of course.
6: How long can you stay?
2: I'll stay as long as necessary. Jim, uh, you'd like to go up to your room and rest, wouldn't
1: you? No. I'll go and wait outside the door with the rest of them.
2: Oh, good afternoon, doctor. Tell me, how is she? Oh, uh, about the same. No better no worse. Tell me honestly, what are our chances? You're asking me a question that only God can answer, Mr. President. What chance do the blossoms have when the storms come? What chance does a swallow have when its wing is broken? We don't know. We do what we can. And then we pray. Uh, may I May I see her? Yes, of course. But only for a moment. I don't want her excited. I want her to rest. I understand. I understand. Uh, uh, would you rather I, I, I didn't see her yet? No, no, no. I want you to see her. Oh, Maria. Maria.
6: Father. Oh, Father, I'm so glad you're here.
2: I'd have been here sooner if I'd known you were ill.
6: I didn't want them to tell you. You have so much to do. Oh, sit there by the bed where I can look at you. You won't leave me now, will you, Father?
2: No, my dear, I won't leave you.
6: I'm afraid. Isn't that foolish? I can't seem to help. I'm afraid. But don't
2: be afraid, my child. I'm here. I'm right here beside
0: you.
6: Oh, Father. That's what you used to say when I'd cry in the night and you'd come in. Remember, Father? I'm afraid, I'd say. I'm afraid, Father.
0: I'm afraid. I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm afraid.
2: Maria, a big girl like you, afraid? What are you afraid of? Of
0: the dark.
2: <laughs> but, Maria, you're ten years old now. Big girls of ten aren't afraid of the dark.
0: They aren't?
2: No, they are not. Why? Because they know there's nothing in the dark that can harm them.
6: I'm ten and I don't know that.
2: Maria, you mustn't be afraid of things. Remember how you were afraid to leave Aunt Epps Come to Paris to join Martha and me?
6: Yes, I remember.
2: And when you got to Paris, you liked it, didn't you? Yes. And you cried when I first took you to the school, but now you like that, don't you? Yes. So you see, just because you haven't experienced something, you mustn't be afraid of it. You must look upon life as a series of adventures. And you must look forward to the new things that happen to you.
6: You're not afraid of the dark?
2: Father. of course. I'm not afraid of the dog.
6: Will you sit there by the bed while I go to sleep?
2: Yes, my dear. I'll sit here. Now tell me how about
0: your prayer?
6: Oh, yes. Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Good night, Father. You won't leave me, will you?
2: No, and don't be afraid, child. I'm here. I'm right here beside you.
6: Oh father, I do love you so much. Good night. Oh, father. father I'll sleep now. Good night. Good night. That's what I'd say. And you'd sit there and if I went to sleep I could see you. And I knew that everything was all right because you were there. Remember?
2: I do remember.
6: Father, say the prayer with
2: me. Of course, my child. Now
6: Now
0: I lay lay me down down to sleep. sleep. I I pray pray the Lord my soul soul to keep.
6: If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That's a lovely prayer, isn't it? Yes. I never thought much about it before. But that's a lovely prayer. Good night, Father.
2: Good night, Murray.
6: Thank you for teaching me so... so long ago not to be afraid of the dark. Good night, Father. I'll sleep now. Good night, Father.
2: Good night, my child. Sweet dreams. Good night.
3: That's the first portion of Mr. President. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, Carl Amari here. During the month of February, you can digitally download Classic Radio's Greatest Shows Volume One, featuring 12 shows, including Sam Spade, Amos and Andy, Sherlock Holmes, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Gunsmoke, Inner Sanctum, and more. It's regularly priced at $19.99, but is yours for only $9.99 via digital download this month only. Also on sale during February at 50% off is The Black Museum Volume One, starring Orson Welles in 12 true crime stories. It's regularly. Priced at 19.99, but is yours for only 9.99 via digital download this month only. Visit classicradiostore.com and digitally download Classic Radio's Greatest Shows Volume One and The Black Museum Volume One at half price. In March, these two collections will go back to full price, so don't miss them while they're on sale during February. Log on to classicradiostore.com to order, and while you're there, download an episode of Suspense absolutely free as our gift to you. That's classicradiostore.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Let's get back to Mr. President.
6: Father, are you down here?
3: Yes, I'm here, Martha.
6: Dinner's ready.
2: Oh, I don't think I can eat, Martha. You and Marie were my whole world. And now, half my world is gone.
6: No, Father, you're mistaken. We aren't your world for your family your world lies out yonder in the darkness where the nation waits for you your world is congress and the cabinet and the people and the tunisian ambassador and the french ambassador and all the other foreign ministers your world stretches far beyond your family your world father is expressed in those three words you know so well we the people they need you and you need them And they're waiting for you now. So you must put sorrow aside and go back to them. You have an appointment with history. You must keep it. I I don't know if I can. You can and you will. Now you took an oath you'll not go back on it. A man's word and the integrity of his word must come before any other consideration.
0: Martha...
2: Where did you learn all that?
6: Right from my father. From you. Mr.
2: President. Mr. President. Sir? Huh? Hey, what did you do?
0: <sighs>
2: I thought you might like to know we're back in Washington. You're almost home. Oh, oh, oh. thanks for waking me. <laughs> It wouldn't do for anyone to see the President of the United States napping in his carriage, would it? Well, it doesn't look too good. People might think you weren't on the job. How do you feel? All right, ready to go to work. How about you? If you're ready, I'm ready. What are we going to tackle first? Well, first we're going to settle the problems of the Tunisian ambassador. I want those horses sold for whatever money we can get for them, and I want the money deposited in the Treasury to defray some of the ambassador's expenses. Yes, Mr. President. And I want the Tunisian ambassador sent for immediately. Yes, Mr. President. And if Congress has anything to say about it... Yes. I'll listen. Uh, Mr. Ambassador, let us dispense with our usual interchange of compliments and get straight to the point, shall we?
5: If the most esteemed President of the United States desires to dispense with the compliments and good wishes of his devoted friend, the Bay of Tunis as communicated through the voice of his humble servant and ambassador, I will, of course, accede to
2: your wishes. Thank you, Mr. Ambassador. I appreciate that very much. Now, to to be completely blunt, uh, what you want is the return of your ship's tribute and money. Is that correct?
5: Well, we have not said precisely that in so many words, Mr. President. What the Bay of Tunis wishes to point out to his honored friend, the President of the United
2: States... In a word, is that what you want, yes or no, Mr. Ambassador? In a word, Mr. President. In one word, Mr. Ambassador. Well, in one word. Yes. All right. Now, here's your answer. In plain language, Mr. Ambassador, the United States will not give you any tribute and will not give you one single dollar. Well, we
5: were hardly interested in one dollar, Mr. President. No dollars. No tribute. This will hardly be pleasing to my illustrious monarch, the Bay of Tunis, You may tell the
2: Bay of Tunis that the President regrets to say that he must adopt a firm stand in this matter. But as a proof of the great friendship of the United States for the Bay, the President of the United States has directed that the ships taken by us as lawful prize be restored to the Bay of Tunis.
5: I will so inform the Bay of Tunis. I am sure my esteemed monarch will consider the settlement disappointing in the extreme... But acceptable.
2: I am happy to hear this, Mr. Ambassador. You will kindly convey to the Bay of Tunis the greetings and good wishes of his friend, the President of the United States. Well, Jim, it's all settled. Tunis is happy, the Bay is happy, and the Ambassador has gone home happy. After a nine-month stay at the expense of this government. I know, I know, but at least it's all settled now. You know, it's far from an easy thing to be President of the United States, Jim. It's far from an easy thing to be President of the United States. You'll find that out in time yourself. Will I, Mr. President? I'm sure you will, Jim. I'm sure you will. Well, you've probably figured out by now who the president was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know, and you'll have the answer in just a moment. Well, Mr. Madison? Well, Mr. President? No, we must reverse that now. It's you who are the president. And may God bless you and help you as he did me. I never thought I'd hold this office. I knew you would. Yes. Yes. And I shall always be proud to say that long before my hour came, a great man told me that one day I would serve as president, one of the greatest men of my time, Mr. Thomas Jefferson. Be with us again next week, won't you, for another story that happened in Washington a few years ago to Mr. President. Until then, goodbye. This
5: transcribed program was produced and directed by Dick Wallen. Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. Today's story was based on incidents in the life of President Thomas Jefferson.
1: Be sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.
3: And that's Mr. President from January 15, 1950, starring Edward Arnold as Thomas Jefferson, our third president that was sustaining over ABC. Hope you enjoyed that. I want to remind all of our listeners to go to our website, which is Hollywood360radio.com. When you go there, there will be a pop-up, and on that pop-up, is three surprise boxes for you. That's right. You can get a surprise box of classic radio that has $150 worth of brand new in-the-cellophane classic radio CDs for only $39.99. You can do the same thing with classic TV on DVD and also the Twilight Zone radio drama. So do check it out. Surprise boxes. They're going fast. And when they're all gone, guess what?
0: You They're know gone. what, right, Lisa? Like,
3: we're not manufacturing anymore. As soon as the warehouse is depleted, this special will be over. So go to Hollywood360Radio.com and check out our pop-up. The response to these surprise boxes has been excellent. Everybody who has gotten one has loved it. We've gotten so many wonderful emails. Of very positive people are so excited about them. So we hope that you are too. It's a great deal. I mean, you get hundred and fifty dollars or more worth product for only thirty nine ninety nine. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a perfect present. So check it out. Either buy a surprise box for yourself or maybe for a friend or family member. But Hollywood360radio.com. Okay, time for the Edgar Berg and Charlie McCarthy Show. The guests on this show are Lulu McConnell and Maurice Evans. Let's go back to November 9th, 1947, Part 1 now of the Charlie McCarthy Show.
5: And Jason Sandberg Coffee bring you the Charlie
1: McCarthy Show. <laughs> this is Nelson Case, ladies and gentlemen, greeting you from Radio City, New York, on behalf of Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy, Ray Noble, and his orchestra, Anita Gordon,
7: Mortimer Snurd, Pat Patrick as Ursel Twing, and our special guests, Maurice Evans and Lulu McConnell. And here are Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. <laughs> Oh, well, peg Leg Bergen, lean on me, will you? Yeah, that's all right. Doesn't leg hurt very much? Well, not too much, Ollie, a little bit. Uh Is it very noticeable when I walk that I limp? Uh, No, no, really not very much. Just whistle Yankee Doodle and everybody will think you're a Civil War vet. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Bergen, why did we ever get mixed up in that horse show, anyway? Well, Charlie, the National Horse Show... One of the biggest social events of the season. Yeah? Yes. Do you know who that woman was sitting in the box next to us? Oh, you mean... Uh, oh, yeah, wasn't that the... The Mrs... Uh, uh, Clear your throat, Bergen. Yes, all right. <laughs> uh, the uh Mrs. Bridgework uh, snugly? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you may be interested to know that her ancestors landed on Plymouth Rock. Yeah? Yeah. Well, they must have. She looked at us as if ours crawled out from under it. <laughs> oh, really, my dear? All right, yeah, yeah. But wasn't it a wonderful exhibition of horsemanship? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. I was honored that there that there was a jumping horse named Edgar Bergen. <laughs> yeah, it's really true, folks. There it was. It's a dirty trick to play on a horse. I'll admit. <laughs> Naturally, I wanted to meet the owner, so I, I sent word backstage that I was Edgar Bergen. And they sent word back if it's the horse, let him in. No, no. Oh, I'll tell you, I soon proved I was Edgar Bergen. What did you do? Show them the initials on your belly band? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> then I told them that I was there to see my namesake. <laughs> Even a horse can't be good without a lot of seedy relatives showing up. (laughs) How old is this nag, anyway? Well, he isn't very young. Well, I don't suppose he is now. I I looked at his teeth and I'd say that uh, we were about the same age. Holy mackerel. (laughs) The horse is that old, does he have to dunk his hay? No, no. no. (laughs) (laughs) He gums his oats, I'll bet, too. (laughs) Uh, What is the horse's nationality? Er, uh, I mean his make Nationality No, no, no You speak of horses as uh, thoroughbred uh, Saddlebred I suppose if it's a shuttling pony It's short and dead. No <laughs> <laughs> I just had to say it <laughs> Really, it wasn't necessary either <laughs> Didn't get very much All right, all right nice. And the colors of the horses are described as Bay, pinto, roan Strawberry roan Come in different flavors, you see Yeah <laughs> How about a banana split? No, 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 no. <laughs> Ooh, wasn't that You leg? Like? Yeah, yeah, it's a little hurt. Well, it's your own fault, Bergen. Why, why did you have to get on the horse? Well, I tell you, it was, it was very nice of them to ask me to ride my horse. Yeah. And besides, I, I've always been a lover of horses.
0: Yeah, uh huh.
7: Is that why you rode with your arms around his neck? No, no. No,
0: <laughs> no I.
7: Uh, <laughs> he did. So help me, Gad. He did. All right, did. Uh, <laughs> I never do that. All the horsemen tell me that I have a very good seat. Well, you should have. (laughs) You use it enough. All right, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, what happened or what caused the accident? Well, I didn't know that the horse was a jumper. Uh Uh-huh. And he must have known I was frightened because when he got to the hurdle, he suddenly stopped. And you kept on going. (laughs) (laughs) As a matter of fact, you soloed. Yes, yes, I (laughs) did. I shall never forget flying through the air. With the wind and the oats in your hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you would have scored an extra point if it had been football. Yes, know. I know it. <laughs> I guess I forgot to face, fasten my safety belt. I guess you did, yes. It's the first time I ever saw a horseman draw a one and a half gainer. But you did it, boy. Yeah. Well, oh please, Ray. All right, isn't it? All right, that's all right. He's just jealous because he doesn't have any lines. All right, well, well, well. <laughs> in spite of what happened, Charlie, you must admit that when I rode in the ring, I made a brilliant showing. Yes, you did, Bergy. Especially when the spotlight hit your noggin. Yeah, thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, God. Well, well, well Yeah,
4: that's right yeah. Yeah. If it isn't Mortimer in the flesh Oh, yeah, yeah. In the Sunday flesh, too Yeah, yeah Yep yeah. Yep yeah. It's really good Quiet now, please a bunch of silly people. Yeah,
0: yeah. Did you hear
4: about my new job? No, I know.
7: What kind of a job is it, Mortimer?
4: Well, I'm, a, am I'm, a, I'm, a, hmm. We'll see. Oh, sure. Well, what do you call a fellow what washes windows? A window washer?
0: Yeah, that's all <laughs> Lawyer?
7: Well, so that's it. Mm-hmm. Do you get paid by the window? No, no.
4: By the boss. By the boss.
0: <laughs>
4: well, where are these windows you wash? Well, they're near the top of a 4012 story hotel. Oh, is that so? Yeah, very high, very high. Oh, I see. You don't say. I just said that, yes. Yes, I know. <laughs> well, apparently you don't suffer from acrophobia. Mm,
0: very high, high. up, <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah.
7: <laughs> well, I see, I see that it's new to you. Let me introduce you to the word acrophobia. Oh, do you do?
0: You <laughs> know.
7: acrophobia is, is an inborn phobia emanating from the subconscious. A sort of an abnormal fear or dread of being at great heights or precarious elevations.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs>
7: It, take nerve, it takes nerve to work there, dangling from the outside of a high building. Mm-hmm. You haven't lost your equilibrium, have you? No, no, no. I pin it in my shirt pocket. Oh, I
0: see. You, <laughs> you
4: enjoy the work? You no, know, yesterday I didn't know. Uh, one lady living up there thought I was one of them human flies. Human flies? Yeah, oh, yeah. What happened? Well, she slaughtered me. Oh, she did?
0: <laughs> I
4: imagine it is rather startling to be...
7: Such a smart aleck No, no, that's all I imagine it's rather startling to people When they suddenly see your face at their window Well,
4: yeah, yeah Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah One fellow was drinking Yeah And jumped up and emptied the stuff down the sink Is that so? yeah Yeah, Tell me,
7: how long does it take to wash a window?
4: Well, that all depends on. You can't just sit on. Depends on what? On what I see in the window.
3: Oh, I see.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, you ought to see what I seen yesterday. Well, tell me, what did you see yesterday? No, oh, no, I can't tell you. Oh, come on. It was too shocking. Oh no.
0: Come on
7: now. Oh, no, don't coax me, please. No, no. <laughs> I won't tell anybody. Now, tell us, what was it you saw in the window yesterday that that was such a shock? Oh, uh, my reflection.
4: Oh. <laughs> 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 How can you be so stupid? Well, say, I finally got an answer to that question. Well, fine.
7: Tell me, what is it that makes you so stupid?
4: it's, um... It's, uh, uh... uh, uh... Oh, shucks, I forgot it. Yes. <laughs> How can I be so stupid? Yeah. I don't know.
7: Ray, did you did Charlie tell you about his new money making venture? Oh, what's that? Holding up filling stations? Well, I should <laughs> say not. Oh. No, he and some other kids are putting on a Shakespearean play and are selling tickets to it. Well, I didn't miss it by much. Everybody, please rise. This is Shakespeare McCarthy of the Weehawken and Grease Greasepaint Club. Yes. Well, congratulations, Charlie. Thank you. I hope your venture pays off. It will if we have a big name. That's the secret. A big name. That's the secret. Yes. Well, Charlie, uh, what about me? I don't mean that kind of a big name, thank no, I see. Uh... <laughs> well, Charlie, to do Shakespeare, you need an authority. Someone with experience. Well, do you think that... Maurice Evans would do? Well, Charlie, you wouldn't dare ask him. You're not that big an imbecile. Oh, is that so? I'm a bigger imbecile than you think. (laughs) I called Mr. Evans, and he's coming over. Thank you. Oh, uh, Charlie, is it true that you're going to act in the theater? Well, actually, no. We're going to do the show in a barn. Swank, you know. Yes. In a barn? Yes. But think of Mr. Evans' reputation. Oh, yes, yes, but think of the money we'll take in. Yes. Uh, Ray, you know Charlie has made quite a deal for himself there, and I'd like the experience of playing with <laughs> such a famous actor as Maurice Evans myself. <laughs> I say because... <laughs> so. Yes, I agree. I mean, the fact that we've played with Mr. Evans wouldn't hurt us a bit, old no. boy. Now let's oh. give him the impression that we've had plenty of experience. Oh, well, well, and I... Pardon me, Charles. Could you tell me where I can find Charles McCarthy, the Bard of Chase and Sanborn? Oh, Charlie, look who's here! Well, for Evans' sake, it's Maurice Evans. <clears throat>
3: Let's break from the Charlie McCarthy show. More of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Next time, it's the conclusion to The Charlie McCarthy Show from 1947. Then Jack Webb stars as Pat Novak for Hire from 1949. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.